You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. As many of you know, uh, we adopted a little girl from Haiti named Bianca almost a year ago. This Friday is what we've been calling Happy Bianca Day. Uh, because it's going to mark the one-year anniversary where she came into our home. And what a glorious thing that has been. And so many of you have been a part of that. And we're so grateful for all the ways that you guys have made that happen. And I thought maybe I would tell a little bit of our adoption story and share a few things. Uh, I'm, I'm careful not to do too much of that because I don't want us to be, or me, to be the feature of our sermons, but the Word of God. Uh, but we're going to talk about um, the adoption we received from God as sons, and uh, I just see so many uh, illustrations, and we've gotten to experience and know better what it is God's adoption is like from having adopted ourselves. So I'm just going to show a quick little video of the moment when Bree and I actually met her for the first time. So this is in the Miami airport. So just sweet, just a sweet, sweet moment. Oh man, I didn't expect to get emotional on that. I should have, but just a sweet moment. And you guys have been a part of that with us today. And as we think about just the sweetness of adoption, the sweetness of the adoption that God has extended to us in Christ, that when we think about the Advent series, the Christmas series, we should think about adoption because that's what Galatians 4, 4 through 7 tells us uh, is... um, is what God did at Christmas. So Galatians 4, 1 through 7, I'm going to read this, and I'm going to, I'm going to share a little bit of the story um, related to our experience of adoption, and that leads into some things that I want to draw from this passage. But we've been going through this passage, Galatians 4, 1 through 7, um, is a little bit larger section, which you don't always think of this as a Christmas story, but it is, and we've been spending some time thinking about this, and here's, here's what it says, Galatians 4, 1 through 7, I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, we realized that God visited us at just the right time. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born under the law, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, or Daddy, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then an heir through God. What a huge passage that God sent forth His Son in order that He might redeem us from under the law, that we might be receive adoption as sons. So the idea, the calling for adoption really started much further back in Bree and I's life. Um, Bree's dad was adopted, and uh, her dad and her aunt were adopted, and they, um, is that right? Your aunt too, right? Okay. Um, Were adopted, and so that has been obviously a meaningful part of their life. And then my parents did foster care when I was growing up, so we had, at least uh, for a season of our life, we had these foster kids in our family, and I think there was some intention of maybe adopting at some point, but it never really quite worked out. I remember that just being so formative, this idea of that, uh, that our home would be open to those who 
for whatever reason, their, their home, their family broke, and they needed a place to be. And that was so formative for me. So, so then when we, Bree and I, got engaged, and we're starting to think, think about our life, and you remember those days before you get married, you're so idealistic, you're going to have the perfect marriage, and you're going to have the perfect number of kids, and all these things, and we, we just thought and wanted adoption, even before we got married, to be maybe part of our story, part of the way our family was put together. We thought that we'd have four kids, two adopted and two biological, and that and the numbers didn't quite work out that way, but we're really grateful for the five kids that we have. And then uh, when we moved here to start working at South Canyon Baptist Church, we, um, we felt like this was going to be a place where we were going to be settled. We had family here. We felt like we had a good community around us. So we thought, let's jump in. Let's jump into the pool now. So we applied at Bethany Christian Services. That's where we met Vanessa. I don't know if Vanessa's here today. That's where we met Vanessa for the first time because she was working there. And as we went there, we just went, you know what? We're open to adopting a girl younger than our current kids. What do you got? We don't have any sort of agenda on where, whether it's domestic or international, any race, any, any, any situation, we'd be willing to consider it. What do we qualify for? And they directed us to the Haiti program. They said the Haiti program is slow. It's kind of expensive, but it's what you fit. It's, this is what would fit. So it's like, okay, well, let's go down that road. We can always pivot if we need to. So as we went down that road... Um, I decided to go ahead and lead our church on a mission trip to Haiti, partially because our church needed to do a mission trip. It was time uh, for us to do one. Plus, I also thought, well, two birds with one stone. Let me go kind of learn a little bit about that country. So we took a couple of mission trips. Sarah went with us on one of them, and we went to, um, we went to uh, the northern coast of Haiti and worked at a mission called Grace Mission, which was an orphanage full of, uh, of kids that were being cared for by these Christian families. And, um, and a lot of cool stuff that they were doing there. One of the things that they had there is they had a program where people in the city of Limbe, moms could come and they could get their babies checked. So they, they had these ladies that would do kind of medical checks and just basic, just basic rudimentary stuff. But just a place you could go if you needed some help. So every Thursday, they would line up early in the morning, these, these moms and their kids. And one of the things that they would give out is baby formula, because often that wasn't something that you could easily get there. And so it's like, hey, you should come check out our, I forget what it was called, our baby care day or whatever. And so it's pretty amazing. So I was watching these missionaries do their work, and uh, Thursday morning we get up early, and there's just this line of people, and, um, and, it, and it's like teenagers. It's like young people. I was like, oh, did the older sisters bring the babies? It's like, no, no, those are the moms. These 11, 12, 13-year-old girls are the moms. It's like, yeah, yeah, their, their dads pimp them out. And they often get pregnant, and their bodies aren't developed enough that they can actually nourish these babies. So they come to us, and we supply them with formula and try to walk them through how to care for a baby. Um, and some of these, you know, by the time they're older teenagers, have multiple kids because of just sort of the dynamics of those that were coming here. And so they would weigh these babies uh, each time, and if the babies weren't increasing in weight, what they would do is, is then not give them any more formula. He's like, what we found that's happening, I know this is agonizing, but what we're finding is that we're giving this formula, two weeks of formula, and then someone else is taking that and selling it, and they're starving these babies, and this formula that could go to someone, and so we have to make the hard decision at times to go, we're not going to be giving you any more formula because you're obviously not feeding this baby. And so then, often that baby will then end up on the steps of the orphanage the next day because it's no longer a revenue stream for these families. And you're just like, golly, just the situation that some people were in there. And that just confirmed to me experiencing that going, well, if we could pull one girl out of this, this is what we should do. It was just a confirmation that going, man, this, 
this system that they're living under there, at least in this particular place, the tendencies that are going, like, this is what we should do. We, we should adopt from this country. We should see this through. And whatever we could do, what we wish we could do for all, we'll do for one, right? So I don't know if that would have been Bianca's story necessarily, but that's sort of the atmosphere that a young girl without anyone advocating and caring for her is likely to go into. So to do whatever it takes to pay the price, to open up your home, to go somewhere, and to pull someone out of that. And what a picture that is, what a picture that is of what we have to a thousand times greater and what God did for us. He saw the condition that we were in, in our sin, and he sent his son for us. He came for us. So as we think about this idea that we might receive adoption as sons, that God would send his son into the world to redeem us, to buy us back is what redeem means, to pay the price to buy us back. Because our family has broken. The human family is broken. And God stepped in, and we all bear scars. We've all inflicted scars because of the sin that we live in. Our family is broken. And God, in his grace, sent his son that we might receive the adoption as sons. Stepped into our world to bring us into the world. One of the Sometimes people ask me, what, what, led, what, was, what are some of the reasons that you decided to adopt? And there's a whole bunch of them. But one of them that's pretty high on my list is that I want to understand this passage better. Part of the reason why I want to, we wanted to adopt is we wanted to understand our own salvation better. What is it like? What did God really have to go through to adopt me, to pursue me, to purchase me? To bring me home. So I know not everybody's called to that, but for us, that was like literally Galatians 4, 4 and 5, and 6 and 7. I want to understand that passage better. I want to understand the heart of God better. I want to understand my own salvation better. I want to be able to communicate it better. I want to experience that on whatever human level that I can. And by God's grace, over this past year, I think we've learned a lot along those lines. And so uh, thank you for bearing with me. Um, using our story a little bit to, to lead into to what's God's story here. So when we think of this passage of goes, so that we might receive adoption as sons, God did all this in the fullness of time, setting up the, the cosmic chessboard so that he could make just the right move, just the right move to bring his son into the world in the fullness of time. He sent forth his son, born of a woman. She, he's just the right kind of savior. Truly God, truly man, son of God, son of man. Born under the law, under the same requirements to meet God's standard that we were. And he met them perfectly. He earned a righteousness that we could not earn. To redeem those under the law, not only to earn a righteousness that then he could give to us, but also to take our punishment upon himself and bear the curse for our sins on the cross so that we might be redeemed, bought back, paid for, purchased, acquired, in just the right way, just the right Savior came at just the right time. And the whole purpose is for what? So that we would receive. So that we would receive a gift. Think of Christmas time as a gift, right? And you receive a gift. What is the gift we receive? Adoption. Adoption as sons. Adoption as sons. So what is adoption? Our English dictionary, Webster's Dictionary, says to take by choice into a relationship. You choose adoption right? You choose adoption. This, is, this, is a, this was chosen. God chose us. God didn't accidentally adopt us. We didn't sort of just get thrown on, 
on the front step and he just sort of had to take us because that's just, he chose us. It's a relationship he is choosing and has taken action to redeem us. The Westminster Confession, actually the Westminster Smaller Catechism, says this, Adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number of his family and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Not earned, merely received. What would this mean to the original audience? First century adoption was kind of a big deal. To be adopted was a big deal. It was almost always sort of the higher classes, in particular like the ruling class. And it was a big deal if you got adopted by someone who was high level. That was a high privilege to be adopted. I'm going to read from this article by a guy named John Song. And here's what he has to say about um, some of the things that were happening at the time. So when Paul is talking about adoption... This, this Roman adoption experience would have been sort of in the background that I think he's drawing from. He says, One of the most well-known cases of adoption is found in the figure of Caesar Augustus, who was, who was reigning during Jesus' birth. Caesar Augustus, originally known as Octavian, was the grandnephew of Julius Caesar. Um, I'll skip down through this a little bit. Octavian discovered that Julius Caesar had actually put him in his will and made him an heir. And so Octavian inherited by adoption the throne of Julius Caesar. Though not his genetic lineage, they, oh, um, also Julius Caesar, I'm trying to skip around to try to summarize this, Augustus's adoption at, at 18 years of age gave him a claim to wealth, military forces, and Roman imperial authority. Although Cleopatra is well known for her love affair with Mark Antony, it is common knowledge that Julius Caesar had a son with this Egyptian queen, yet the act of adoption superseded Caesar's own bloodline. Adoption actually puts you ahead of the biological line. New Testament historian Robert Lewis says that there could be no higher claim than to have been adopted by the ruler of Rome. The adoption and adoption continued to be used. The Roman Emperor Nero, who church tradition tells us beheaded the Apostle Paul, came to power by adoption. Adoption was well known throughout the empire. Adoption was not an unwelcome status. Rather, it was a coveted status among those who could potentially rule the Roman world. There was nothing more joyful than to discover that one had been adopted by a powerful Roman family. For Paul, the Roman emperors were no gods, for they were mortal, subject to moral corruption. Rather, there was greater joy in knowing that one was adopted by God the Father through faith in Christ. For in Christ, we enjoy the liberties and privileges of being the children of God. So this is a big deal. This would be something that the original audience would understand, that adoption is a high honor and gives you rights and privileges that you could not imagine, you could not earn, that you do not deserve, that you have no rightful claim to. It is merely the choice of the one who is adopting to bring you in and give you all of the prestige and power and inheritance that they themselves have. In the first century, a biological child could be disowned, but an adopted child could never be disowned. An adopted child could never be disowned. And so in many ways, this idea of being adopted was of higher privilege than even biological birth. So this idea that Paul is saying that you, God went forth at just the right time and just the right way to bring you into his family by adoption is to be seen as not a, not a 
a down thing at all, not a negative thing at all, but a high, high privilege that God would set his affections on you and choose you to be in his family and to give and graft all of these, give all of these gifts and, and relationship to you. So just from my experience, this is just purely from my, from, from my own experience. This isn't necessarily in the scriptures, although I think it has scriptural parallels. What does adoption entail? Well, adoption entails choosing. You have to choose to do it, right? It doesn't accidentally happen. You have to choose to do it. Adoption also entails paying a price. Adoption requires pursuing. Adoption requires providing and protecting. Naming. You give a name. Knowing, enjoying, relating, and inheriting. So those are just a few things that I think are true, right? Adoption includes all of these things. On the act of the giver, the person who is being adopted doesn't earn any of these things. These things are merely gifted by the one who is adopting. So there's a lot of work that goes into adopting, and we see that God has done the work. And so here, let me just ask this. Who adopted us? According to this passage, who adopted us? We would have to say the triune God, the triune God of heaven, the creator of all things who exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you see the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in these passages? Yes, you see actually the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all cooperating from eternity past to engage in an adoption project for you. That thing sort of breaks through in all of its glory at Christmas time when Christ comes and the Spirit begins to work in all of these miraculous ways. But this was a plan that God put in effect before time began. The Advent season is not just about Jesus coming for us. It's also about the entire triune God coordinating a massive adoption mission. And you are included in that. Let me show you the three ways, the, three, the way the three persons of the Trinity all participated in this group project to bring about adoption that you might receive it. First, the Father planned and sent. The Father planned this this adoption plan, and sent. Verse 4, Galatians 4, 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. In verse 6, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. So we have a God who sends, who plans and sends for our adoption to enter into this broken world, as, Je- as Justin said a couple weeks ago, while all of the other Roman and Greek gods of the day were all trying to get out of this broken world, God is the one, the one true God is the one who enters into the mess, goes into the the problem, the situation. He sent forth his son and sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. One of the things that delayed our adoption last year was that, you remember those missionaries that were held hostage in Haiti? Do you remember that story? Well, that was just like in the same neighborhood where Bianca was. And so part of the reason why was they were sort of on a lockdown there in that orphanage and we couldn't get there because it was a dangerous situation. Now, if you can just imagine where these Americans have been kidnapped and that's holding up this adoption process, if you can just imagine us going, you know what, we have a plan. We're going to send Micah. We're going to send our son. We're going to send him into the danger zone and we're going to say, hey, you have a sister there and we need you to go get her no matter what it takes. If it costs you your life, it costs you your life. Go get her and bring her home, son. Can you imagine that? That's what God did. Except God and Jesus knew that it was going to cost the son everything. 
They knew this going in. There's the potential that Micah actually could be Agent Zero or whatever and go in and he could pull it off, right? Do this rescue mission. But they knew that, this rec- this, that, that Jesus was going to be going into enemy territory. He was going to be rejected. He was going to die at the hands of his own people. Knew that. said, son, go get them. He said, I'll go get them. And with the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Which brings us to number two. The son came and purchased. So the father didn't send the son, because, and the son was unwilling. The son was like, yeah, dad, I can do this. Father, I will do this for you. The, the son the second person of the Trinity actually came and put on human flesh, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. By his own death and resurrection, his own obedient life, the Son came and purchased. We see that in verse 5. His Son, born of woman, born under the law. So we see the Father planned and sent. That was his role in the redemption plan. The Son came and purchased. He paid the price. Perfect life, substitutionary death, resurrection. He purchased it. And then we see in verse 6, the Spirit enters and activates it. Verse 6, the Spirit of His Son is sent into our hearts, crying, Abba, or Daddy, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then an heir through God. So the Father sends the Son and the Spirit. The Son came and purchases our redemption, our adoption. And then the Spirit comes in, and it's the Spirit that's crying out in our hearts. That's not something we have to muster in and of ourselves. The Spirit comes in and He actually cries out on our behalf, Father. We just receive this by faith. God does all the work. God did all the planning. God did all the sending. The Son did all of the coming. Jesus did all of the purchasing. The Spirit enters then into your heart and controls you from the inside in order that you might be made alive spiritually and that He actually is the one who's crying out, Abba, Father, Daddy, bringing you into this intimate relationship with God because you couldn't do it on your own. And because he has adopted you, he will never disown you. He will never disown you. He has chosen you, and you cannot disown one that you have chosen. We have a couple other passages where this idea of the triune God cooperating together in this project of adoption. Two other passages I want us to look at. And I want you to notice as I read these, if you can spot for yourself where we see the Father planning and sending, where we see the Son coming and purchasing, and where we see the Spirit entering and activating. Okay? So one is Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, a little bit longer section. But just watch. See if you can't see these in this passage. The Father's role, the Son's role, the Spirit's role. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which he set forth in Christ is a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we inquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Did you see all three? Did you see the triune God all doing their part in this plan from before time to offer adoption to you? The Father planned, predestined, it says, and sent. The Son came and purchased, and the Spirit is our guarantee, crying out, Abba, Father. Romans 8. Romans 8 says this. It would be great to read the whole chapter. I'm only going to read part of it. Romans 8, 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Skip down to verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So when you think of Christmas, think of the triune God picking just the right time to bring about his adoption plan, to choose you, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And he does it. He does it from heaven. He does it on earth through Christ. And he does it even within your own hearts. He even enters in to our own hearts that we might have what we need. God does it all. God does all of it. Our salvation is all of God. And if you can just think of all the things God owns, all the things God knows and has and possesses, all the riches that he has, if you are trusting in Christ, then you are the inheritor of all of those things. Now, if you know that kind of inheritance is ahead of you, then that certainly makes the trials and tribulations of our life a whole lot smaller, right? If you know you're going to receive that in the end, then the little, relatively little things that we experience, the bumps in the road that we experience now are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. For if God did not spare his own son, will he not freely give us all things, right? As Romans 8 talks about. So just a few applications as you meditate on this, this Christmas. The point of Advent ultimately is communion with the triune God. God wanted us to have a relationship with him. He didn't just set us free from sin and just let us go on the streets. He wanted to bring us to his dinner table. He wanted to bring us into his home. He wanted to take us into his lap like a father. He desires a relationship with us. I've really enjoyed this book. I've been reading it. I'm almost done. Not quite done. Almost done. Called Communion with God by John Owen. And there's just a wonderful, just like, how, what does it look like to commune with God? And that's what this passage is all about. God did all of this so that we could call him father, daddy intimate term of relationship with God. And this is a book from the, I don't know, what is this, 1600s? Um, just unpacking what this looks like to commune with each member of the Trinity. And uh, there's just some beautiful, beautiful thoughts in here. Um, uh, it's too hard to read some of that. But here, let me just summarize it for you. I think it connects here. He talks about in this book that we commune with the Father in his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
We commune with the Father in his love. So when you think of what it looks like to know God the Father, you should think of the love that he has, the plan that he set forth that you might be able to call him Father. Think of the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, that you might have access and privilege to call the Almighty Father. So we commune with the Father in his love. We commune with the Son in his grace, that he has given us a gift, that he has come for us, and he has given himself for us. We commune with the Son in His grace. We commune with the Father in His love, just enjoying the fatherly love of God. We commune with the Son in His grace that He has done so much for us that we could never pay back. We should never pay back. We just receive. And we commune with the Spirit in His comfort because He comes into our hearts and He helps, out, helps us cry out to our Father. He's the Spirit of comfort, right? We often think of there's a whole list of things that the Spirit does when He enters into us. There's gifts and, and all this stuff, but like, almost above and beyond anything else, it's the idea that the Spirit has come as a comforter. He's come as a comforter. He helps you pray when you can't pray. He draws you near when you feel far away. It's Him that cries out, Abba, Father. Because you don't know how to do it, but He does. And He does it from the inside. Not pointing a finger at you going, you should get this right, but coming inside you and essentially holding your heart by the hand and going, I will train you. I will lead you. I will do this for you. So the Spirit in his comfort. We commune with the Father in his love. We commune with the Son in his grace. We commune with the Spirit in his comfort. The dealing with our sins part of the gospel, which is essential, justification, is important, but it's actually not the ultimate end. It is to set us up to become children of God. If you think of the legal courtroom, where because of what Christ has done for us, we are now declared righteous and we're, we're then sent off, it's not just in the courtroom where the judge is saying, you're now not guilty, you're free to go. It's now the judge saying, you're not guilty, and now I adopt you into my house. So justification, the fact that we're declared righteous by God and our sins are dealt with, is sort of the baseline of the gospel. But the highest privilege of the gospel, that is simply a means to an end so that God could bring you into his family. Adoption, to become a child of God. J.I. Packer says it well like this. His Knowing God, this is a great book, by the way. You should get this one too. I'll, I'll give you these two uh, recommendations. His chapter on sons of God, which deals with this idea of adoption, is just gold. It's worth the price of the book by itself. Uh, I probably should have just read the chapter to you because it's so glorious. But he says this, what is a Christian? The Christian is the one who has God as their father, the one who can call him Abba, Father, right? And we might receive adoption as sons. So, my friends, do you know God as your father? Have you been redeemed by the Son and comforted by the Spirit? That's what Christmas and Advent is all about, is that God is offering that on the table for you. And what the passage says that we need to do, receive. It doesn't say anything about earning it, does it? The adopted child doesn't do anything to earn it. It's not because they're just the right height or they're just the right intelligence no, they merely receive it because of the grace of the one offering it. Do you know God as your Father? Do you know the grace of the Son? Do you know the comfort of the Spirit? If yes, then marvel in that today. Have a conversation at lunch today about what that looks like to go, man, it's amazing that God loved us in such a way that he would open up his home to us, right? And that the Son would come and endure all the junk of the world 
so that I would have this opportunity. And that the Spirit would come and actually dwell in my gross heart. Oh, just think of all the things you think and feel and how ugly that is, and you don't want anyone to know those things. The Spirit's like, I'm moving in. And in His comfort, He takes up residence in us. What more could God do than to open up His home to us, to give us His Son, and to have His Spirit be within us? What would it take to convince you that this thing is true, that this thing is real, that this thing is good? Who could turn down the offer on the table from the creator of the universe? Marvel. Marvel and delight in this if you've received it. Rest assured that your salvation was not an accident. It was planned by God, purchased by the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so this means for you that you were and are chosen. You were and are purchased. You were and are provided for. You were and are pursued. You were and are protected by a father. You were and are named. You were and are known. You were and are enjoyed. You ever thought of that? It says that God rejoices over us with loud singing, as one of of the prophets said. Did you know that? You ever thought about that? That God actually delights in you? Some of you have never... And you don't feel like anybody likes you. <laughs> God delights over you as a child with no reservations. You were and are related to God. You're in a relationship with him. You can talk to him. And you were and are in inheriting everything that he has. That's all right in front of you. It's as good as done. If you know God is your father, experientially from the heart like this, or if you want to, If you don't know that, if you don't know God as your father, that's what I'm trying to say. If you don't know God as your father, experientially from the heart, not just legally like justification, but experientially, like from my heart calling out Abba Father, like an experiential relationship with God as father, the son and his grace, the spirit, then I would would ask you if you've not been experiencing this or you would like to experience this, Jesus would say this, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. There's a seat at the table for you. There's a, there's a bed. There's a father. There's a place in his home for you. And he's accomplished all of that through this plan. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father planning and sending the Son and the Spirit. The Son coming and purchasing us. The Spirit entering and activating us that we might have the adoption as sons and become heirs of everything that God has. That's good news. That's available to all of us. Let's pray. God, thank you for your good gifts to us. Thank you for this triune plan that you've worked out so perfectly. God, we thank you that, uh, that we uh, can experience this personally. And as we studied in James, that we have a, a call to spread that, to visit widows and orphans in their affliction. God, we thank you for, your, for enabling us to experience this on so many levels and to see it through Uh, through your eyes. God, I thank you for that personally, for me. Thank you for all your good gifts in this. I pray, God, that if there's anyone in here who feels like they're on the outside looking in, that they would. They would ask, they would seek, they would knock. That this adoption that's being offered, they would receive it. And maybe there's some of us in here, Lord, that you, that just do not uh, feel it right now. God, we pray that you would be kind to grant that sense of intimacy and rest and freedom that we're no longer under the law, but under grace. 
We're no longer living under the oppressive rule and reign of the world. God, I pray that we would feel free because we are free. That we would feel loved because we are loved. That we would feel um, like we belong because we, we do belong. So Lord, I pray that we would find all of these resources and that you would give us all of the gifts, like every gift that you intend to give us. I pray, Lord, that we would, we would, you would give us the capacity to receive it. Thank you for giving us the spirit to be able to receive those because we can't do it ourselves. Thank you for never disowning us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.